Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, and happy Father's Day. Although today is certainly not Good Shepherd Sunday, which we observed way back on April 30th, the fourth Sunday of Easter, yet all of today's readings, including the responsorial psalm, deal in one way or another with how God leads and shepherds his people and of the need for good and faithful shepherds to help lead those people. In the first reading from the book of Exodus, we hear how God, using Moses, shepherded his chosen people, leading them out of Egypt, bearing them up on eagle wings, and bringing them to himself at Mount Sinai. In the responsorial psalm, we heard these words, Know that the Lord is God. He made us. His we are. His people, the flock he tends. The second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Romans tells us that because we, all of us, have been justified by Jesus' blood, quote, we will be saved through him from the wrath. In other words, his blood, by his blood, he will shepherd us to salvation. In today's gospel, of course, we heard how our Lord looked out across the vast numbers of people and was moved with pity for them because as he looked at them, they were troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. In our Lord's time, Israel would have been very attracted to the image of a shepherd, a good shepherd, who took care of his sheep. And it was an image that would have been powerfully appealing to them, would have resonated with them, because all of their heroes had been shepherds. Think about it. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. David, before he was called to be king, was called from, the, uh, from shepherding uh, his, his father's sheep. The prophet Ezekiel had said in prophecy that when the Messiah comes, he is going to be the genuine, the authentic good shepherd of God's people. And so when our Lord said that he is the good shepherd, what he was saying to his people was that he was the one of whom the prophets had spoken, right there in their midst. Now, there are three little points I want to make today about sheep and shepherds and how this can help us understand the absolutely incomprehensible love of God. First, brothers and sisters, is the fact that we, all of us, all of us are in need of a shepherd. Now, I have never lived on a farm, but I have known people who have. And one thing they say about sheep is that sheep are really stupid animals. I mean, they are really, really dumb. And if we think about our fallen human nature for a minute and about our spiritual life, we all really are like sheep who do need a shepherd. I know you've heard about this before. One of the classic definitions of insanity is to do the same stupid thing over and over again and to expect a different result. Yet, isn't that what we all do when we fall into the same repeated cycle of sin over and over again? We have pet sins, sins we have fallen into, habitual sins, sins that we may almost find as comfortable as a pair of old shoes. And so we fall into their trap again and again, like the insane person expecting a different result, but yet once we are past the glitz and the glitter and the allure of the sin, we find ourselves saying to ourselves, I don't believe I fell for that old trick of the devil once again. And sin far from producing the joy that it seems to promise, produces sadness, sorrow, and maybe worse, 
We are all like those dumb sheep. We need a shepherd, a good one to lead us away from the insane cycle of sinfulness and regret. And God in his infinite love and mercy has provided us with a good shepherd. No, it is the definitive good shepherd. And when we approach him, when we approach that good shepherd with humility, acknowledging that we need him to lead us and like the sheep place all our trust in him, then aided by God's grace and following the good shepherd, we can begin to break the cycle of sinfulness. Second little point. Uh, as today's second reading tells us, Jesus Christ is filled with infinite love for each and every one of his sheep. None, not one of them, not one of them is dispensable or disposable or a throwaway. Jesus Christ cares and loves for each and every one of his sheep, loves them in ways that to those of us, all of us who are bound by the human perspective only, might seem utterly irrational, a boundless love, an infinite love. Now, although this is not in today's gospel, one of the most important aspects of Jesus as the Good Shepherd can be found in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew and the 15th chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. And there, Jesus is discussing in detail what it means to be a Good Shepherd. And he asked those who were listening to him, he asked them this one provocative question. And you, we've all heard this before. He says, he said to them, which of you having 100 sheep and losing one would not leave the 99 and go search for the one until you found it? It is a provocative question because his hearers, perhaps some of them shepherds and all of them living in an agricultural society and knowing just how stupid sheep are, they would most certainly have answered him, no, that idea is crazy, it's impractical. None of us would leave the 99 to search for one. It is an absurd suggestion. That's what they would have said. Because they would have known that if you left the 99 to go out and seek the one, by the time you returned, 10 or 20 more of those stupid sheep would have wandered off or been stolen by thieves or killed by wolves. The one sheep in the world of shepherds and flocks would have been disposable or dispensable, a throwaway. Now, the loss of that one sheep certainly would have been regrettable for the shepherd, but chasing after the one and risking the loss of several dozen others in the process would absolutely not have made good practical business sense to those who heard our Lord ask the question. Forgetting about the one to them simply would have been the old business practice of cutting one's losses. Brothers and sisters, God does not cut his losses. And this makes my second little point that Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, loves and wants to hold on to each and every one of his sheep and that none of them, <clears throat> not one of them, is dispensable or disposable or a throwaway. It shows us in a very dramatic way the infinity of God's love, a love that is often incomprehensible to us humans. Okay, the third little point I want to make about this gospel is that Jesus as the good shepherd <coughs> is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Now, in the days of Israel, a landowner who had fields and sheep would try to get his son to be a shepherd, like David, for example. David was called away from shepherding in the fields to become king, indeed the most famous king of Israel. 
But if a landowner couldn't get his son to be a shepherd, or perhaps he didn't have a son, or his son had grown up and had gone away to do something else, well, that landowner would hire a shepherd. And hired shepherds had a terrible reputation. The word hireling, which is not a word we hear much in conversational English anymore, we hear probably only in scripture, but a hireling was a term of derision. A hired shepherd was basically assumed to be a thief. An observant Jew would not buy wool from someone who was a hired shepherd because it was assumed that that wool had been stolen. And we all know that honest people don't buy goods that they know are stolen. To be a good shepherd, though, is a very, very demanding task. It is very hard to be a good shepherd. A good shepherd endlessly, tirelessly, ceaselessly served the needs of his flock. A good shepherd would go away for months in the summertime, take his flock away, and live away from his family, from his home, from his friends, from all of his comforts of his home family and home village. He would live, his life would be lived for the sheep during that dry season. He did that because summertime is the dry season of Israel. And he would have to walk his sheep to a place where there was water and then stay there with them until the dry season had ended. And only then would he go back to his family and his friends and his house and his, and his village. A good shepherd also would stay awake in the night, all night, even throughout the winter, keeping watch over his flock. Now, think about this for a minute. Remember the story of the shepherds in the fields at Bethlehem that first Christmas Eve, keeping night watch over their flocks, right? We all know that story. Shepherds were the very first members of the general public to whom God sent news of the arrival of the Messiah. Okay, that was no accident. But recall that with all this going on, God also sent them reassurance so that those shepherds would not be distracted by the wonders going on in their sight. So those shepherds of Bethlehem could continue to focus on guarding their sheep, their flocks, and being good shepherds. They had to exercise constant, ceaseless vigilance. Now, one of the great paradoxes here, brothers and sisters, is that although God doesn't need our help, he asked for it. He asked for members of our human family to come forward to be shepherds. Jesus, of course, knew that he would be crucified, die on the cross, rise from the dead, and one day return to the Father. And God so respects our free will that he would not simply issue a powerful command and compel all of us to become faithful believers in Jesus Christ, just like that. Jesus knew all this, of course, and knew that he would need shepherds to lead his church and to shepherd his followers to salvation. And so as today's gospel tells us, out of the large number of his disciples, he summoned 12 to help lead and shepherd his people. 12 ordinary men, who once they were infused with his teachings and infused with the fire of the Holy Spirit, would lead his people and guided by the Spirit, lead his church after our Lord had returned to the Father. Some important points about the 12. <clears throat> they were chosen out of many hundreds or perhaps even thousands of disciples. Okay, And Jesus chose them. And when he had made his choice, he then called them and appointed them to be his apostles, the ones 
who would be closest to him, who would carry out his work. They were ordinary men. And when he had appointed them, he then really very much in the sense that a military officer receives a commission. Our Lord commissioned the apostles to carry out the work for which he had appointed them. Today's gospel names five things he told them to do. Recall, he told them to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <clears throat> he told them to cure the sick. He told them to raise the dead. And by this he meant not only those who were physically dead, raise the dead in the literal sense, but also to raise those who were spiritually dead. People whose faith had been so crushed down to the vanishing point by the oppressive weight of the nitpicking rules of the scribes and Pharisees. People who had taken the beautiful law that God had given Moses, had taken the law of Moses and reduced it to a mere check the box system of belief. Fourth, he told them to cleanse lepers and fifth, to drive out demons. And as we know, of course, this was just the beginning. Earlier in the gospel, our Lord had asked his followers to ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. It is a call to each and every one of us to put our faith into action, to help build up God's kingdom by using the gifts God gives us. <clears throat> Coming to Mass every Sunday is necessary and it is most important. But please, brothers and sisters, please remember that this is just a beginning, just a start. Our Lord chooses not to do it all himself. He certainly could have, but he does not do it all himself. God knows our needs and he calls us. He calls, we respond, that's how he cares for us. Some people look around at the sorry state of the world and ask, why doesn't God do something about it? Other people look at the exact same world and say, what does God want me to do about it? Everybody knows that the world is really in a very sad and sorry state. We don't need to look too far, okay? We see it every day. Snap on the news, you've got it, okay? Uh, people are stressed, we're often at one another's throats. And I know some of us must think that the second coming of Christ can't come soon enough. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. But listen, sadness, worry, anxiety, fear, these things never made the world a better place. We still have to ask ourselves that same question, what does God want me to do about it? So consider what God is calling you to do, what abilities he has given you that you can use to help the master of the harvest, perhaps as a volunteer for one of our church's many ministries, maybe as a lector or an usher, a religious education instructor. I know Vacation Bible School always needs volunteers, another good idea, just to name a few. If you think you have a vocation, pursue it, pray over it, ask about it. Priests, deacons, religious, the church is in need of all of them. In closing, I would ask that you just ask yourself these two questions. Why not me? And why not right now?